Good afternoon, evening, morning, whenever you're listening to this. This is Bob Royer from Talking Comics. I'm here with Professor Carolyn Coca. Hello. And Melissa Megan from Talking Comics and Sirens of Scream and Mega Nerd Media. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and we are here at the conclusion of Star Trek Mission New York, the 50th anniversary Star Trek Con at the Javits Center in New York City. We've been together and separate in bits and pieces across the two days here, seeing all sorts of panels and cosplayers and celebrities and merch and autographing lots and lots of stuff. And we are going to sort of walk you through our general impressions first and then some of the things we did separately together and just uh, chat about the kind of weekend we had. So who would like to lead off? Um, I guess I'll give my general impressions. Uh, for those of you who have been to New York Comic Con or San Diego Comic Con, for one thing, this was much less crowded. So the kinds of calculations that you normally need to make about when to get in line and which things you might have to skip to get in line for something else, that really didn't apply here except to maybe the last big panel, which was William Shatner on the big main stage. Mm -hmm. Other than that, you could pretty much get into what you wanted to get into, and that was very nice. I could go on, but why don't we yeah, each give yeah. a general impression? <laughs> Melissa? Uh, yeah, generally, it's been a great weekend. Um, like Carolyn already said, it was uh, not a huge crowd, enough people to keep things entertaining, and some interesting people watching, for sure. Um, but not not I never felt like I was elbow to elbow with anyone or that I couldn't get into something that I wanted to see um, people were very polite and very happy to uh, stop for photos which I took quite a few of and I'll be sharing those um, but yeah it was it was great and I got to meet uh, I got to meet a few I got to meet a few stars this weekend that I'm excited nice. about so yeah I think there was definitely a really great energy in the room lots of positivity was fun to see a I'm saying Carol and I were sort of comparing notes maybe 45% ladies mm -hmm. which is great fun to see younger people in classic outfits and the other way around is all iterations of Trek were embraced some in combination some in combination with other things <laughs> and a few oddball little bits of cosplay this was the Artist Alley, it was the dealer room here. It was a little smaller than usual in terms of the amount of vendors. They were quality vendors though, not some of the usual <sighs> spotty stuff. There were no bootlegs around or, and then include shirts and videos and whatever. So anything you bought, I think you were fairly good at. Crowds, one third, one quarter, what a New York Comic Con might, might be. So you could really get into anything. Again, we'll get into the last panel of the day and VIP seating at some point which caused us trouble at one spot but what should we start with Saturday? Yeah, we'll sure. Into, we have a lot to cover Yes, we were We're're all busy. at but that first panel is what we were all at together for the first time Yep. which was Growing Up Trek uh, hosted by Mark Altman who produces Magicians for TV and for people who know me and having talked about it for years now also produced and wrote the movie Free Enterprise a number of panels over the weekend and this was Julian Adam Nimoy Leonard's daughter and son and uh, Rod Roddenberry Eugene Roddenberry's uh, junior uh, Eugene Roddenberry's son both Julie and Adam have documentaries about their dad Julie's is about uh, his chronic obstructive pulmonary disease that causes death from years and years of smoking COPD yep mm -hmm. Adam's is sort of 
started while his dad was alive, moved through his illness, and then became not only a celebration of Spock, because it's for love of Spock, which we will also talk about later. It's about his career, his life growing up, and it was really touching. And uh, Rod's story is interesting in that he was the typical, as he describes, rebellious 17-year-old with Metallica t-shirts, <laughs> combat boots. He said Ma- Motley Crue. Yeah. Motley Crue, yes, it's true. Crew. <laughs> I knew it had an M. <laughs> Who was not interested at all in Star Trek, really, until his dad passed away. And his mom, Majel, was then in charge of the franchise and making money to have them move forward. He was only 17 when his father died. So it was a very interesting panel, some great questions. Ladies, what did you think of that as a way to start our weekend off? Um, I was, I was, uh, I didn't know much about Rod Roddenberry, but I was really touched by his um, openness about the fact that his relationship with his father wasn't that great um, at that point in his life. And so um, learning about Star Trek and about what his father had done with that franchise, getting in touch with the fans, to him was a way to sort of mend that relationship um, without his father. Um, so that was really touching, and of course, uh, a big focus of mine this for this con is uh, everything Spock. So um, I was really excited to hear from Spock's kids, uh, who are adults, not kids. <laughs> um, but that was uh, that was really great, and yeah, I, I found it. Um, I learned a lot about both uh, Leonard Nimoy's family. I learned a lot about Eugene Roddenberry. I learned a lot about the Star Trek franchise predating me and my interest in Star Trek. So um, it was really an informative panel and um, I needed a lot of tissue throughout it <laughs> listening yes. to Adam and Julie talk about their father and the hardships and the, the really wonderful times that Star Trek brought to their family. So It was, it was touching. Right, yeah, they, and, was. and the Nimoy children who are no longer children had that in common with Rod Roddenberry that they sort of grew up with a difficult relationship when they were younger to Star Trek because it was the thing that took their parents' time and attention away from them. Um, but then all three of them have come to came to not only reconcile with that but also embrace it. And as Rod Roddenberry put it at some point, you know, some uh, people have come up to him and said something like, your, your father was like a father to me, mm-hmm. and so now he really embraces the fact that he has millions of other brothers and sisters. Yeah. And he's begun a foundation, it's the Boldly Better Foundation, mm-hmm. where he's trying to raise money, go to scientists, social scientists, and all those things that his father believed the world could be as a humanist, he, he's trying to see if we can't find a way to get there. And what a great use of the idea of science fiction and what it could predict to possibly be our real future. Do we remember, um, want to tell them the name of Julie's association? Highly Illogical COPD. There we go. I think that, is that the hashtag that they were talking about also? I think so. Okay. Uh, they're definitely on Twitter because they actually followed me during the panel no. while, we, while I was tweeting out about the panel and my impressions of it, so... Yeah, let's make sure. I really believe it was highly illogical. And we went to... Highly illogical. COPD, colon, highly illogical. We did go to a different panel after that that was kind of unrelated, but then the panel we went to after that was the For the Love of Spock panel, so maybe we should talk about that one first and then backtrack to the one before it. Melissa, 
<laughs> I think you should talk about that panel. Uh, yeah, For the Love of Spock was a panel that was um, focused on the upcoming documentary. And it was... Um, Bob, you got to help me out here. It was Adam Nimoy and... David Sapone. David produced. Sapone. He was the producer, mm-hmm. correct? Um, and it was obvious, I think, from the very beginning of this panel that the two of them had become close friends. And they had a great relationship together, working relationship. Um, they talked a lot about the experience of making the documentary, the um, why Adam wanted to do it, uh, how it, it had started out originally, I think, by Leonard's suggestion to focus on Leonard mm-hmm. more than to, Spock. To focus on Spock more. more than, was it the other way worth, around? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and as they started to produce it, it, it kind of became all things and Adam decided that it needed to encompass the entirety of Spock and Leonard as people and as individual characters that they were. Um, They showed us a trailer for the documentary. Yeah, which uh, I don't know about Bob, but probably within three minutes, the first, not even three minutes, so probably the first two minutes of the trailer, I was wiping my mascara off my face again. (laughs) Very heartfelt. Every yeah. word spoken in the trailer, whether it's by Leonard, Adam, the other people in his life that we get to see, even in that brief trailer, speak to what sort of person he was. And I think they focused a lot in that panel, which I really appreciated, on the impression and the, the impact that Leonard had on everybody in his life, whether it was people that he worked with on set, whether it was people, you know, his family, um, Adam several times made uh, made sort of little jokes about how Leonard could do anything and he was just constantly trying to find something to do that his father wasn't good at because his father was good at so many things. Um, so it was a really it was a really nice uh, peek into their life in a very personal way and again just like I said earlier about Rod Roddenberry I was very touched by the openness that Adam had with the fans and with the crowd or he was very candid and very honest and genuine about letting everybody know what his family was about and the things that they've experienced with with Leonard. For good and ill. They described a wonderful Mm -hmm. anecdote where 16 Magazine published their home address (laughs) and they it was bad enough when their father didn't come home he was in Spock mode. Right. But then there were buckets and bags and boxes of mail and people showing up dressed as Spock for Halloween at their doorstep. <laughs> and poor Adam waiting desperately for things to arrive in yeah, the mail that his, he had ordered. His <laughs> x-ray specs. From the bag yeah. of comic books. <laughs> right. And it was just all mail for Spock. <laughs> Addressed to Mr. Spock. <laughs> yeah, that was a fantastic panel and definitely uh, one of the most touching parts of the we- of the weekend, I think. Made me feel very in touch with Spock okay. again. And that documentary premieres on Friday. Friday yep. Which is the 9th? Yes. Sounds like the 9th of February. I think it's the so. day after the anniversary the of the show. The 8th, the 8th is the anniversary. anniversary, right. So, yeah, that was fantastic. That was a great panel. Great panel. And they, they showed the trailer and they showed, was it one other clip or two other clips? But anyway, it all, it all looked terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that panel did they mention the animated series story was that in the animated series panel it depends on which story bob and i went to uh, a panel about star trek the animated series it was the story regarding the other actors 
It, that We heard that in both places, oh, okay. actually. Do you want to tell that story? Sure. And there'll be our segue into the animated series story. For those who don't know, in 73, there were always attempts to bring back Star Trek once syndication hit and the conventions hit that, wow, this is a property we can now make money on again. Paramount being a money-making operation, mostly. They did an animated series and they wanted, wanted to bring back the voice cast except it was William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy Jimmy Doohan who was going to do basically Scotty and every other male voice and Major Barrett who was going to do Nurse Chapel and the computer and every other woman that was going to show up and Leonard Nimoy went to the producers and said is this how it's going to be? I'm not interested because what makes our show diverse is epitomized by Nichelle Nichols and George Takei, and if they're not involved, I'm not either. And they showed a clip of George Takei, who was nearly in tears talking about it, which was really special to, to show how, how Leonard had touched them too, in a, in a way that no other actor may have. Yeah, you hear a lot, I think, about Leonard Nimoy trying to defend the um, general feeling of Star Trek and what it stands for as far as being a, a family and a community mm -hmm. and you heard a lot about him and his ups and downs with uh, Roddenberry right. over who Spock is and what Spock should do and what Spock mm -hmm. shouldn't do. I've never heard anything about until today or until yesterday from Leonard Nimoy's feelings on diversity in the show and you know his obvious uh, dedication to that staying true. Mm -hmm. You know, as they discussed during the weekend with the, the other panel, I suppose, where they're talking about how Gene Roddenberry and Leonard would butt heads. Mm -hmm. It was always about the quality of the show. It wasn't about how much screen time mm -hmm. you could get. It was about, well, this isn't true to how this character would be. This isn't what our show is supposed to be about. Mm -hmm. And particularly when it came about with the idic, with infinite diversity and infinite combinations which I, I guess Gene thought Leonard would embrace right away until it turned into some tchotchke they could sell in stationery stores in the back of science fiction magazines. <laughs> a, gi a giant medallion to be yes. worn around the neck on a giant chain. That, that Rod Roddenberry was wearing in <laughs> yes. the first panel. Probably sporting, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, the animated series, which uh, I learned for the first time hearing over the weekend, uh, Lushmir, the producer, wanted it wanted it made here. Now, the major complaint from all of us, even those who love us, is the animation is staggeringly limited. There's lots of, well, static poses and lips moving and an arm here and there. But you, you get the real voices and real writers doing the story and animation done in the United States. So he put American animators to work and the regular writers and the regular cast. And that's for their two seasons, well, one and three quarter seasons, so on. And the list of episodes that they start to do that I now want to re-watch, re which I have sitting at home. Check it out, folks. It's now part of the 50th anniversary Blu-ray collection. Yes, this giant box set will be released this week also that has, I guess, all the... Does it have all the series? Or I just think it's the, the original two, series the animated and the series, series. movies. And the movies. movies. So everything and, associated with the original right. show. And tons and tons of new documentary content, including bits and pieces from what is called the Roddenberry Vault. Right. 
Ooh, I'm gonna have to buy that. That's December. <laughs> <laughs> that's outtakes and the blooper reels and all sorts of goodies right. there. And, and some of that animated series discussion was about, well, is the animated series canon or not canon? Yes. For those of you who are concerned with such things. And the answer seems to be some of it is and some of it yes. isn't. <laughs> the parts that have been re incorporated into later media apparently are considered canon. So maybe that means other, other parts could be as well. But you can find some animated episodes or clips of them if you just want to see what the style mm -hmm. of animation is that we're talking about and you can hear uh, the original cast's voices doing those um, animated series shows. So yeah, you check it out if you haven't. Yeah. May not be worth buying $400 worth of secondary market DVDs. Mm. <laughs> I'm just saying. Unless you want to buy mine, which is, I don't know. <laughs> so while you guys were doing the animated um, panel, that was when I was sitting in for the Next Generation cast <gasps> panel, um, which I was super stoked about because I grew up on the Next Generation and they were at the beginning of my love affair with Star Trek. And I've never seen them in person before. So um, the, where did my page go? Let's see, we saw Gates McFadden, Jonathan Frakes, LeVar Burton, uh, Marina Sirtis, and Michael Dorn all in this panel. All-star cast. Yeah, which was really exciting. No Captain Picard, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as they reference many times in this panel, he's always busy. <laughs> so <laughs> it's hard to get the captain, apparently. Um, it was fantastic. I, I, like I said, I've never seen them in person before, so I really didn't know what to expect as far as who they are. Um, Jonathan Frakes is uh, Riker. Is, he has one of my... Mm -hmm favorite Star Trek characters um, ever and he was a complete sort of tornado of wackiness on stage Wow! Um, from the minute that they announced his name and he sort of jogged out onto the stage happily <laughs> bouncing and skipping um, and made his way directly over to the DJ stand where he decided to investigate what the DJ was doing <laughs> um, and then took a leap over the back of his chair to sit when they finally told him he had to sit down so they could announce <laughs> the rest of the Oh, did he do the Riker? throwing the hey, leg yes, over the he, chair. He Excellent. went behind the chair and then threw one leg over and yes. leaped over the top. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that wasn't until after the moderator, uh, he kept asking the moderator who was showing up today and the moderator finally said, you just need to sit down and I'll call the rest of them out. <laughs> <laughs> so um, wow. he, he made quite the entrance. Um, the other person that made a big impression on me throughout my weekend ended up um, was Marina Sirtis, which um, I, I love Counselor Troy. Um, I love her character, but I, again, I did not know what to expect from her. She is a little fireball. Yes. She came out on stage in a sparkly sequined dress and giant stiletto heels looking as gorgeous as ever. Um, and she sat, um, I love her and, um, Gates McFadden sat on one couch surrounding Michael Dorn and, the other, um, LeVar Burton and Jonathan Frake sat on a separate couch and it was, it was kind of a funny setup just because Michael Dorn tended to be very quiet and reserved and the two women sitting on each side of him were very outspoken <laughs> and, uh, both had their arm around him sort of at the same time through most of the, like, they were just kind of hugging him Aww. together. Um, and the couch, uh, with LeVar Burton and Jonathan Frakes was sort of, uh, the, the attitude couch where the both of them were <laughs> they were kind of bouncing little jokes off of each other continuously through the the panel and overall the the panel made it very obvious that these people are all friends and they all have very affectionate feelings about each other 
Um, they were constantly making jokes and making fun references to their years of recording the next gen, told lots of really funny stories. Um, it was really, it was really entertaining. And, um, I guess if I could pick out one story that I recall that they told that really stuck with me was, uh, because data is also another favorite of mine. Um, they talked about, um, remind me. Uh, Brett Spiner. Thank you, Brett Spiner. Um, how he was always the ultimate professional, never forgot a line, never missed a step, um, until they filmed a scene where Jordy was laying on the table in the uh, medical bay, completely naked, except for a small swath of cloth over his private parts, and <laughs> splayed out on the table, obviously dead, and Data was supposed to enter the room and say, I need to talk to Jordy. And they said every time he walked in the room, he would fall apart and giggles and laughs every time because it was just such a ridiculous thing to say when everyone was staring at him splayed out dead on the table <laughs> naked <laughs> and Marina Serta said I was literally lying on the floor laughing trying to stay out of the shot because I couldn't keep it together um, so that was really funny to watch them um, there was a uh, one negative event that happened during this panel I wouldn't say negative I'd say awkward one of the most awkward things I've ever seen happen at a con um, during the Q&A session at the end, a man stepped up to the microphone and decided to um, propose to his girlfriend, uh, which he started with something in Klingon. I don't know what he said, but it began in Klingon, and then he proposed, and the entire cast stood up out of their chairs, walked to the end of the stage, and got very close to them, and were standing there excitedly watching. And from where I was sitting in the back of the room, all I could see was the cast sort of stop watching and awkwardly start walking back to their seats to the other side and then Marina Sirtis turned to the other side of the room and said next question please um, so yeah it turns out this woman was not so excited to get married on that day no. and she did not accept his proposal um, so yeah things got really icy really quickly Yeah, I, I heard from someone today who was in the same row Mm -hmm. And she apparently fled the room in terror <laughs> at, at the asking of the question. Oh, gosh. It was, yeah. Even from the back of the room where I couldn't see the couple who were speaking, you could see what was happening by the look on the cast yeah. faces. <laughs> and they just didn't know what to say at that point. Not much to say. No. That's for sure. No. So that that was a, a, a highlight. And uh, that was the, the third panel that I saw on Saturday. And I, I saw them last year at Comic-Con. There was a special external event in conjunction with Comic-Con with the Next Generation cast. And Patrick Stewart was there because he was in New York performing, um, so waiting for Godot uh, with Sir Ian McKellen. And I saw them, too, on Broadway. Uh, so anyway, that's why Patrick Stewart was there. And the event was moderated by William Shatner. But I think both Melissa and I can say, if you have the chance to see them together, do. Because they have great they chemistry. They tell funny stories. They clearly care for each other. There's nothing awkward about watching them and they're just great fair must make you feel like you're just like a friend joining into a small party like wow. everybody in the room had a drink in their hands and they were just mm -hmm. sitting around chatting about the old times yes so as if no time has passed it sounds right, right. Them, yeah. exactly right what what uh, other panels did you two see on saturday uh, then I went to one called feminist fandom did you come to that i can't remember no i don't think so i don't believe i did and that was um, not so much um, people who were stars in the show themselves, but people who were more um, either sort of journalists um, about popular culture and one woman who works for CBS and is in the, the product area. 
And that panel was more sort of commentary on um, how female characters have been treated across the series. And uh, some of it was about, the, the fandom part seemed to be more about, uh, yes, there are women who are interested in this franchise, and wouldn't it be nice if there were more products that had women in mind, mm -hmm. like, for instance, t-shirts that are cut for women's bodies. <laughs> One of them mentioned that if you get um, an original series, I'm not sure if it was a shirt or a dress, but basically the ones that are now cut for women only have one gold braid on the sleeve, whereas mm. the ones for men have, have two or three. Those are, those are rank insignia. And uh, that if you are a woman who would rather have uh, a captain's rank and so you want more gold braids, you can get them from the company for $10 each and sew them on yourself. So there was general groaning about that kind of thing in the room. But also talk about how the female, and we can talk about this more when we talk about the awesome panel that we went to um, today, but talk about the, the progression of female characters across the series and across the decades. Absolutely. Should we go right into that panel? I mean, we're on that topic. Well, did, we, did you see any other panels on Saturday, or was that... No, I think that was it for me. Wrapped up I your Went Saturday? back into the dealer room. Um, I would like to mention the game that I oh, played yes. on Saturday. Um, I was invited to play Star Trek Online. Um, and this is something I did not prepare for. I'm sorry, so I can't find the name of the developer for that. But there were three Star Trek games um, represented at the show this weekend. There was a uh, mobile game uh, called Timeline, I believe, Star Trek That's Timeline. That's where you can combine characters. The time has gone fractured. I was just down there speaking to the fella. And so you can choose a crew from all the different iterations of the show, ships from wherever, and go flying off into wormholes and hmm. blow up stuff and go down to planets. It's, it seemed to play very nicely on their little console on yeah. the pad. So I think that it could be fun. And it's a free app that you can download, apparently. Yep. There was that one. And then there was a game from Ubisoft, which is a virtual reality Star Trek game. Um, I did not get to play that, unfortunately, because they had appointments that were completely booked up for it. But it looked really interesting. And I did watch a couple... Um, both days, I went back and watched a couple teams play it. And it's very much... Looked like a fun team ah. thing where they had a, a captain shouting orders and <laughs> at, at the rest of his crew, and you know that was really fun to watch. Um, but the game that I played was called Star Trek Online, and it has been on PC for I think he said six years now. Um, I'm not a PC player myself, so maybe some of you have played this before if you're playing on Steam, but it's going to be available on both Xbox One and PS4 on Tuesday. It is a free-to-play game. Um, the I spoke at length with the uh, developer. Uh, that's not the that's not the right word. Um, uh, someone involved in the creation. I'm, I apologize. I can't remember his name right now. Um, and he he explained that the only time that money really comes into play in the game is when you eventually want to start getting yourself bigger ships, more more complex uh, uniforms you can buy like uh, fashion packages to get different types of uniforms um, it's a role-playing adventure game uh, it is also a I always get this wrong massive multiplayer online mm -hmm. game I'm sure I'm missing no, an no, acronym in there somewhere <laughs> as opposed to MMA yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, but for people who, are, who don't play um, MMOs, uh, he did assure me that there was a very extensive and wonderful single player uh, campaign in the game as well. So I played it for a short time. I got to fight some Borg. I got to do some space battle with some Borg cubes. And uh, I picked it up pretty quickly, I think. Um, did you get assimilated? No, I, I, I won. Yeah. I beat the All board. Right. Um, I, it, despite my learning curve having put up, be put on the PS4 for the first time ever to play this game. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a fantastic game. One of the most exciting things about it is that you can create um, and custom build your own ships within the game, which you can make with... Like, you can take separate pieces of the ship and put them together in whichever way you see fit. Um not just Federation ships, but I believe he said you can also build Klingon ships, you can build Romulan ships. There's tons of models of ships that you can put together in your own way. And you get some, I believe you call it a token. Um, you can turn in this token and they will, you send your design to the company and they will 3D print your ship for you and ship it to you along with a very nice um, stand, display stand. And I did see these ships, and I took some photos of them, and they are fantastic. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And I'm really excited about that idea, because never, I've never played a game where I could create something in the game and have it physically come to me, you know, and you can display the things that you've made mm-hmm. in the game. Um, so that nice was super fun. nice to have fun. that sitting on your desk while you're playing the game. Right. I'll definitely be downloading it on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mentioned one of the things you were talking about, the money aspect of it. They also had... A feature where you could trade your experience apparently mm-hmm. to people who have excess cash because you, you get extra dilithium crystals and things for having experience but you mm. can trade them off as he said well the people who are more casual gamers older folks who might have more spare cash as opposed to teenagers or younger people who just be playing the game for hours and hours and hours there's a way to barter mm-hmm. within their system to try to make things a little more equal. I thought that was a nice little feature. That is nice. And in those kind of games, you often you have players who like want to focus on the cosmetic aspect of it. They want to make their uniforms look really cool. They want to build up their space stations in a certain way. And then you've got the players who are totally looking for weapons or ships or, you know, so there's people that focus on different aspects of the game more. So that makes it easier to uh, get the most out of it mm-hmm. by trading with your friends. So, yeah, so that was awesome. I think that was the last thing that I did on Saturday. Shall we move so into we Sunday? In, we're moving into Sunday? Yes. So, um, you were trailing us this morning. We were, were here early. <laughs> you were allowed. You're certainly well, allowed. I actually got out of bed earlier than I expected and came with Carolyn in oh. the morning. So, I did not stay in bed like that I could. Yeah, okay, I so did. you, I got you were merching? Yes. I, I, yes, I was merching this okay. morning. I was. I bought. Um. I bought some little goodies for Max. Some. Uh, so a con toy and a Captain Kirk toy. Um, I bought him some Spock ears. Um, what else did I get? I bought him a little Star Trek book with some of the best quotes mm-hmm. from Star Trek, so I can start his education. <laughs> Star Trek education. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I got him a triple, which uh, you guys heard at the beginning. That was our, our triple intro music. Yes. Bob and I both have little yeah, tribbles. We have, we have, you have the, the giant size. Yes. I, have, I have the little baby. I have you the got first the baby born. tribble. I've got the yeah. mommy tribble. Had to have one. At the end of the day, had to, had to leave with yep. the tribble. Got some t-shirts. We talked a little bit of, earlier about the uh, show floor. Um, I think I was a little bit underwhelmed by, I think, the merch options. I was quite underwhelmed. 
Yeah, specifically in clothing. I expected to have that I would find some like really good, hard to find t-shirts or things like that. But the t-shirts were pretty much all boxy men's size t-shirts. They had no kids size shirts. Um, they had one dressmaker who had some really beautiful Star Trek mm-hmm. dresses, but they were all going for pretty high prices. So Carolyn and I both <laughs> talked ourselves out of it. <laughs> I, ha- I have the feeling it, it could be revolving around the licensing mm-hmm. at so many shows we all go to there are loads of t-shirt dealers and you, I guarantee that most of them are not paid any licensing fees their shirts coming from third party vendors and you're buying things and you do as as a vendor I've done that in stores and sometimes things don't work out all the legalities with Paramount and CBS in charge here I'm sure people are going to be very particular about what they brought to a show, if they would even come to a show, knowing that they may be under some scrutiny. Can't say for certain, but I think it's a decent guess. And the shirts that Melissa is talking about, the ones that had the boxy, what tend to be called unisex cut, but are really cut for men's bodies, um, they were all sort of sponsored by the con. The con. I mean, they were all yes. under the banner of 50th yeah. anniversary, whatever. Um, so other, other than that, and some licensed uniform-looking T-shirts. In other words, red and gold and Mm -hmm. blue. There were no other T-shirts at all. Uh, So I would agree that it probably has something to do with licensing. And in terms of the the boxy ones, um, as I I had said to Melissa earlier, uh, the Uhura ones were sold out, but they, I guess, either were better stocked or um, with the Kirk and Spock and McCoy T-shirts. So they might have underestimated the Uhura demand, or maybe there was just... uh, quite a bit of it. We don't know. Well, there was a booth downstairs that was about the, I think, the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. I think that was the booth that was near. And one side of it was Uhura in the classic red dress. And I can't tell you how many young women I saw stand in front of that and take a picture. Yeah. So that demand was definitely there at this show. And There were a lot of women in red dresses. I don't know if I can I think there's a red alert happening. Yeah, sorry. Deflector shields have gone up. Yeah, it is a. Can you, if you could just bear with us while this Zamboni goes by? <laughs> it's not a Zamboni. I don't know what you call it. Some kind it's of a big lift. machine. Yes, it's a cherry picker. Yes, we're which is inside, by the way, the cherry yeah. picker. <laughs> sorry. The down, the downside of trying to record live on yeah. location. Really sorry. <laughs> we saw it coming <laughs> quite a while ago. <laughs> they couldn't do anything. Uh, there were no video dealers either mm-hmm. downstairs, and you'd expected a license table of Paramount Goods. I would Blue have, and I also and would have expected, Bob earlier mentioned the, the this set of two books that's coming out, time to coincide with the 50th anniversary, and... You could not buy those books here, which is pretty unbelievable. You can get them on Amazon. They're already available. You can get them on Barnes & Noble, but you can't get them here where where there would be a huge demand for them. Which at a panel we saw, Mark Altman, who wrote the books, was, Mm -hmm. you can get this book virtually everywhere. Except except here. here. uh, Yeah, I mean, it's nice that it didn't feel like a flea market. You know, there were a lot of booths selling collectibles and old toys. Mm -hmm. So I think if you had 15 or 20 more of those, it would be a little crowded and dusty in there but um 
IDW had a nice table mm-hmm. yes, with all of their uh, comic books uh, laid out there. Uh, Chris Real was a, an editor that I'm familiar with who was sitting at the table. Um, there was also someone exciting there that you wanted to meet. Yes, I got to meet John Byrne. And <laughs> the, the John the Byrne. The John Byrne and managed not to make a complete dope out of myself. He, he did not. He was very <laughs> cool. And we had a nice little conversation about where his photo novel series may be going in the future and what he's done so far. And I did ask him about coming on our show. And he mostly politely said, I, I just don't do those. It was polite. Yeah. It's like, okay, get that and then continue our conversation, which was, which was nice. And he was every bit the gentleman signed a couple of things for me. was well. I felt bad. I, there were people starting to show up behind me. He's like, no. He said, no, just talk. Which, <laughs> nicely. Uh, very much, very much happy to have gotten that chance. Nice. And John Byrne was happy to talk about Star Trek. Yes. He's a big, big, big fan. <laughs> so, on Sunday, you you two went to something before I... Before me, right? While you were at, while you were merching, yes, we went to the lost years, the treks that never were, hosted by Mark Altman with Ed Gross, who was part of Starlog magazine. For those who remember that, Roger Lay, who's doing a documentary and does all those features for the new collectible set, and Michael Jan Friedman, who people who buy the novels know his name well. He must have done fifty of them and lots of other series. And it's about those in-between years, once the show was off the air. Quick story, apparently NBC commissioned the first demographic study of television ratings for the the season of 68-69, and they canceled Star Trek, and they brought in the Nielsen folks. So, what, 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 are, what are our ratings show? What were the best show we had on the air for, for the, you know, the target audiences? You just canceled it, it was Star Trek. <laughs> they had an 18 to 49 audience with disposable income and they had taken the show off the air. So early on, there were thoughts of bringing this back, hence the animated series. An attempt at a second series that would lead off a Paramount television network. In between were various oddball ideas for movies, like The God Thing, <laughs> where Kirk would fight Jesus on the bridge of the Enterprise. And, but G- and talk to a bird. And talk to a bird and some sirens. Uh, naked naked ones, sirens, apparently. <laughs> apparently. Not not as stylish as the sirens of Scream, clearly. Yes, yes. <laughs> there are talks about a low-budget movie. A number of attempts at that. And as we move through that, and you hear about what Phase 2 might have been, where Leonard Nimoy was going to be involved, and then they said, well, maybe four episodes. I'll pass. They cast a new fella to play a, a full Vulcan named Zahn, who all of a sudden wasn't in the show because Leonard was going to come back. And well, the, what they, they also extended it to 13 episodes, yes. so the guy who played Zahn was hired for the 13. 13. And then hired for none. Right. The director of that, uh, Robert Collins, mm-hmm. was then hearing rumors about, well, it's going to be a motion picture instead because this little thing called Star Wars showed up and made lots of money. Well, maybe there is money to be made in theaters. I hear I'm not going to direct this, Mr. Cullen said. No, don't you worry about it. It's just Hollywood hubbub. Don't worry about that. I hear it's Robert Wise. No, don't even worry. But we share an agent. And I'm hearing also, no, that's just until he found he wasn't directing the movie and Robert Wise was. The great panel, they showed tons of clips from the documentaries, 
uh, the Phil Kaufman, Planet of Titans. Planet of the Titans. And who did they want to play a Klingon in Planet of the Titans? Toshiro Mufuni from the Akira Kurosawa films Rashomon and Seven Samurai and uh, Yojimbo. Except they also wanted at some point, you know, Robert Redford to play Captain Kirk. <laughs> and then they thought maybe they'd kill Kirk and it would be a Spock-centric movie <laughs> written by Phil Kaufman with designs by Ralph McQuarrie. And, and they showed yeah. a couple of them. And if you if you know the name Ralph McQuarrie from Star Wars designs, these were just as stellar mm-hmm. as those. With some help from Ken Adam, who did mm-hmm. the, Bond, the early Bond films. <laughs> So it's, it becomes very twisted. The, the straight line between the series and the movies is not, not such so a straight. straight. And you could also see the intersection of sometimes it was something having to do with the script, and sometimes it was something having to do with the actors, and sometimes it was something having to do with the studio, and sometimes a network. And so there are all these different influences on why these things didn't go forward. They will all be in Mr. Altman's book. Right. The first half, there's a two-volume, It's two 50 volumes. years, so it's first 25, second 25, and it is laid out as an oral history. So it's all these people chatting, you can see them all build yeah, the there's, story. Yeah, there's no description in between, it's just one person, and then the next person talks, and then the next person talks, so it's like reading, it's like reading them talking to you, sitting in the room with you, so. The chaos a was good not read. just on the bridge, right? <laughs> no, we, we, <laughs> the we'll chaos hear about was everywhere. that later, too. <laughs> I was lucky enough before that panel uh, to meet Mr. Altman as he was giving some stuff away. Because he, again, as I mentioned, Free Enterprise, which is a movie I recommend to everyone. It is, first of all, it's very geek-centric, but not so much that vanilla people can't enjoy it. But it adds to... It adds to your enjoyment. It is also a romantic comedy that is both romantic and funny. With a with a very young Eric McCormick before Will and Grace and a fellow named Rafer Weigel who now does the sports for like WGN in Chicago and a female lead Audie England who now does fine art photography and following I guess in Leonard's footsteps in doing that and they make a wonderful little grouping and it's I walked up to him and I had him sign my DVD and I said you know I'm a really big fan I own both copies of this DVD it came out two different ways <laughs> and, I, and I own the laser disc and he went it's just you and me then who own that laser disc <laughs> and he said well for being a fan of Free Enterprise you get a copy of my book Aww. and he and Ed Gross signed it for me Pretty that was cool. nice yeah they talked about a couple other story ideas that didn't quite make it one called Star Trek The Beginning which would have had the cast basically doing the Iliad and the Odyssey yes. Another one that was about JFK meeting uh, the crew. Um, one called the Academy Years. Mm-hmm. That's sort which, of self-explanatory. Yeah, and um, another idea that they had after the movie The Wrath of Khan that would have been a prequel to The Wrath of Khan called The Prison, Prison Planet. Planet. Uh, that would have showed Khan and the other people from, well, the other people that he was. I don't want to go back into the description yes. of space scene. Anyway, Khan and his friends right. <laughs> in prison. Paul MacGyver's <laughs> and all the rest. Yeah, from that. And also, they told a story about how Star Trek II's original plot didn't involve Khan at, at all. At all. At all, yeah. Evil twins. Evil twins with magical powers. Yeah. Good thing they didn't go that route. Yes. Who would have uh, mind-controlled David, uh, Kirk's yes. son, David. Um, 
I think they went, they made the better choice there. Absolutely. With especially, Mr. Montalban. Especially considering some of the cons we saw wandering we around saw the show. We saw some great cons. Make sure you check out um, yeah. pictures of them on Mega Nerd I, Media. I got a picture of what I think is the best con at the show. The classic I think, con. I think we yes. know who we're talking. Yeah. Yes, we all yeah. agree. He was the best con, definitely. So can we talk about what I think was the best panel of the weekend? I am going to second that. It was the best panel. I will third that. Okay, go. Uh, that was the Women of Star Trek Reflect on 50 Years uh, panel. And that was, don't let me forget anybody here. There's my people list. That was... Marina Sirtis. Marina Sirtis. Nana uh, Visitor. And Terry Farrell. Mm-hmm. Right? And what was the... Uh, Amy Imhoff. Thank you. Was the, the nice host. lady who hosted that. Um, I think they were trying to get a fourth guest in there, but she didn't. Never came into the room. So <laughs> no. But I looked in the program, and it actually mentions Robin Curtis. So I think maybe she was the fourth uh. who wasn't guaranteed. Okay. Um, this was yeah. This was the uh, third time this weekend that I <laughs> teared up. I should I should have just brought in a whole box of tissue and carried it with me for the weekend. Um, I thought this uh, panel was incredible. I thought it was powerful, inspiring. Um, Marina Sirtis is definitely a bit of a power force of um, feminist. Um, yeah. Just I don't want to say rage because she's not ragey, but she's just yeah, she's just a powerhouse. She's a firecracker, um, and she took every. Again, for the second time that I've seen her this weekend on stage, she took every opportunity she had to um, say something about where women need to head, what we need to do to keep women moving forward, to keep uh, equality moving forward. I was really inspired by her. Um, they shared a lot of fun stories about working on their their respective shows. Um, they talked a lot about they talked about. Uh, gender fluidity a little bit and relationships that they had on the show and what each of their characters meant to women watching the show and how women uh, um, actually they were saying men and women and young people at cons come up to all of them to say how inspiring they are some of those questions were definitely the things that would, would got us all teary yeah, I did grab a couple of video clips, um, oh, nice. which I'll be showing. Um, one was uh, Marina Sirtis uh, sharing a really powerful story about a um, a war veteran mm-hmm. who she met, uh, who came up to her in a wheelchair and basically told her that uh, she had saved his life, and it was and she cho- she choked up quite a bit on stage talking about it, mm-hmm. um, and there were there were quite a few really. Ins- heartfelt stories shared on the stage in that panel. People in the audience saying they became scientists mm-hmm, right. because of looking at, at, at Dax. Mm-hmm. Right. And one that be- wanted to go to school for psychology because of Troy. Yeah. Right. And then became went to criminal justice. Right. And now works for the federal government because it's the <laughs> nearest thing to the federation she could come up with. And she was bawling in the audience and the women on the stage and all of us in the audience were all in the same state. It was amazing. And of course, the background too, if you think about who these women were, they were representing a character from The Next Generation and two from Deep Space Nine. So that means that kind of hovering in the background is this idea that although we all think, I mean, who doesn't think that Nichelle Nichols and Majel Barrett Roddenberry were forces of nature, their characters were really quite underdeveloped on the original series. 
Nichelle Nichols gets more of a chance in the 70s and 80s through the movies. Majel Barrett gets more of a chance playing Troy's mother, Waxana, when she comes back in The Next Generation. But there were um, Amy, the woman who was moderating, was talking about the progression of female characters from the original series to The Next Generation to Deep Space Nine to Voyager. And so she gave this statistic that a friend of hers had compiled about the show's passing the Bechdel Bechdel test. test. That is, two women who speak to each other about something other than a man. I just noticed you jotted that down. I did. I had to write the number. I I put a star next to it so I wouldn't forget. So she said, the original series passed 8% of the time. In other words, in 8% of original series episodes, two women talk to each other about (laughs) something other than a man. Uh, In The Next Generation, 44% of the episodes pass. In Deep Space Nine, 58% of the episodes pass. And in Voyager, 87% of the episodes episodes pass. So that progression is quite quite obvious yes, yes. as time goes on. And, and what Marina said was something to the effect of um, because television and society mirror one another, what that really means is because these writers' rooms were mostly male and white and remained that, but it means that those men were progressing in their ideas the about gender. The men were growing, I think is yes. how she said it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there were 20th century men trying to write 23rd century women, and they hadn't quite caught up. But there is a progression, and I think because fandom has changed, Mm -hmm, and more people, now more women are into writing. For the original series, it was D.C. Fontana. The only one in the room. And I think for the next generation, was it only... What is her name? Oh, no. I want to say Denise Okuda. That's not right, is it? No, she's more on the technical end, I believe. Um, That's not the right thing. I'll think of it. (laughs) <laughs> no, I was going to say too. I think I think the fandom probably has something to do with that because if yeah, they were paying any so attention good. at all, then they would pick up, you know, as these series mm-hmm. progress, how many women are in their audience and how many female mm-hmm. fans were supporting the series in general. And it's smart of them to grow with that and to listen to what um, all of their fans want. Both male and female. So they talked about the tension between the way women are perceived in Hollywood and the way that they can be written. So a couple of them talked about how every role I had before Star Trek, I was either, you know, the cute victim or the bitch. I think yeah, Nana Na- Na- Visitor mm-hmm. said that. Uh, she she, said when she, she would, she would change, change her, her hair color. color. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. when was she was blonde. blonde, she would be cast as a victim. When she had dark hair, she would be cast as, as the bitch. Um, and Marina also spoke about how Counselor Troy was a victim not infrequently and she talked about how she and Gates McFadden really were playing caretaker characters Mm -hmm. and someone in the panel I went to the previous day said you could extend that to Guinan because she's a bartender who listens to other people's problems (laughs) and when but when you compare that to um, Dax and Kira and then Captain Janeway and Seven and Bellana there is a real difference in the, the nuance of those characters. They got to be much more well-rounded than those who came before them, and, and that's how you do it. You keep pushing, 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 and as Marina said, and got a lot of applause, women have to help other women. Right. When women break into Hollywood in various ways, especially if they're writers or producers, they have to reach down and they have to pull other women in with them, and you know you need to have more diversity in these writers' rooms. She summed it up by saying hire women. She did. Yes. Hire women pay money and and pay women equally and and hire them equally right and she, that that is how you will change that environment right she was describing a scenario a casting director she knows who works for the Cone brothers 
would go just to public events, go to her local synagogue, go to the supermarket, and that's an interesting face, as yeah. opposed to hiring an actress for the part. And she describes it, well, they, we're, we're mentoring them. Well, that means they also get paid less. And they were patting themselves on the back for this accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And that also then will begin to eliminate older women instead of just the teenagers that, that fill everything, it seems. Right. Well, and I think part of her point was to say that, you know, there are a lot of women in this industry that are working really hard, have spent a lot of money to go to school, spent a lot of money on training, have struggled for years mm-hmm. to try to crack into Hollywood. And rather than handing someone a business card who you think has the right face for the part, you know, hire professionals who are trying to get into the industry. Yes. And um, she said she... she has to be careful how much she says because she still needs to pay her bills. Right, exactly. But, but some you know, Hollywood is still a boys club. I think uh, one of the other things that really um, struck me in this panel that one of the moments that definitely brought me to tears in this, um, I believe it was Terry Farrell who talked about um, her her Dax, right? And I, I don't, I'm, I'm not a big Deep Space Nine fan. I watched a lot of it, but I don't recall. Um, but at some point, apparently, she dropped off the show. Right. Um, and she talked about the fact that she was, uh, she had a young child at home, and she was feeling exhausted and overwhelmed, and went to the producers and said, I need, I need a less strict schedule. To be a reoccurring character instead right. of an every week character. And she right. made it clear that she knew that men on the show had been given that option. Right. And um, and men had been given that flexibility with their scheduling. And she needed that because she wasn't able to keep up with her family as well as her career. And she was she was uh, at her at her end. Um, and they refused her that. They told her it was a take it or leave a situation. She had to have the part or, or not have the part. And so that's why... That's why she was forced to walk away from it because she obviously was a mother and she needed to be a good mother and so she had to give up her career and she right before that marina had talked about how one has to keep one's mouth shut at work because there are so few of us and then terry then countered with here's what happened when i didn't keep my mouth yeah. shut but right. um and then she wound up working after that. She did get another right. show after that. But she said, but we have to do these things because we have to make it easier for the people who come, for the women especially, but for, for all the people who come after us. We have to pave that way. She said, you can have it all, but we have to speak up for ourselves to get it. That's right. It's not going to be, it's not going to happen easily for a very long time, probably. Right. And I'm sure Carolyn and I were not the only working mothers in that room who felt... <laughs> well, and Terry Farrell got choked up when she was telling the story, too. And she, and she wasn't actually so much choked up when she was talking about herself. She was choked up when she was recalling when Nana Visitor was pregnant and then had her child and she apparently was not given that flexibility either. No, and how little she was able and to she, see her baby. Right. Who was also, you know, Alexander Siddig's son, the guy who plays Bashir. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that was, it was very touching and very hard to hear because it's mm-hmm. truth. Yes. And, you know, truth's know, hard. <laughs> yeah. It's a, there was a lot of truth spoken in that panel, a lot of hard truths. Um, and a lot of applause and clearly yeah. a lot of people who were all feeling the same way. And, and yes, it was definitely mostly about gender, but they when they were talking about the environments in which they were working and they were talking about the writers' rooms and in the panel I'd been to the day before... And a, a panel that my, my colleague went to, too, that was called something like The Writers of Trek, it's pretty much entirely white and male um, and straight. So definitely the more the more diversity you can have in terms of storytellers, uh, the more d- 
diverse and nuanced storytelling you can have, which is great. There's something very powerful in seeing these successful celebrities who, you know, we all consider celebrities sit on stage and tell you that they have had the same struggles and do have the same struggles as everyone sitting in the audience has. They're, they're real people who have had to fought, fight very, very hard mm-hmm. to be on the show and to have families and to do all of those things that they want to do. So, yeah. You, you don't often see, I mean, we've been to a lot of conventions and other conferences at this point. You don't often see um, pan, male panelists talking about juggling a home life and family life. No, and the question isn't asked. <laughs> and you do, and nor, do, nor do you often see them talking about the number of times their character was tortured or sexually assaulted. <laughs> yeah. So, no, it was it was a great panel. They're fantastic women, and they all look exactly the same. Yes. I don't oh know God. how that can be. Gorgeous. Yeah. I, I It was uh, uh, Nana to hear her refer multiple times to her son. Mm-hmm. Um, Who I realize is old. I mean, I, I'm still thinking of him as a baby because right. she's frozen in time for me as being pregnant right. and then yeah. not pregnant on Deep Space Nine. But of course, he's an adult at this right. point. And then he's, I think, he's in the service. Yes, exactly. And she's in Afghanistan. Yeah. And she, uh, yeah, it, it just, you, I kept thinking to myself, how does she have a son old enough to be in, in the military? No, <laughs> she no. looks amazing. And she was saying that he and the people in his battalion watch Deep Space Nine so she can be with him that way when he's in Afghanistan. So, yeah. Feelings. Yes. A lot of feelings this weekend. Every thumb up for that panel. Um, I think the last panel that Carolyn and I went to was the Queer Trekkers uh, panel. Carolyn, would you like to give a a quick summary of that? Hmm. It's like they're packing up on us. Well, I guess I will say this. The, The first panelist who started talking said about three sentences, at which point I leaned over to Melissa and said, if you want to know what I sound like at academic conferences, this is what I sound like. Because... This was just like a a really heavily jargon-laden presentation. It wasn't so much a discussion, and it wasn't at all like the panels that we had been to thus far. So then it turned into like a three-person PowerPoint, and after the... Well, it remained somewhat jargony, but then they just started sort of showing pictures and clips of where you can sort of see uh, queerness in Star Trek. So was the kind of thing that the audience they were speaking to I probably had already seen all of those right. things so there That's wasn't a bit like preaching to the choir it yes right so they talked quite a bit about the character of Jadzia Dax and how she has this symbiont and that kind of makes her gender fluid um, the, the day before someone had said Dax is like a trans character and then and then someone said that to Terry Farrell in the panel this morning and she was like no Dax is not a trans character <laughs> and, you know so I so I guess gender fluid is a maybe a, a more a better descriptor there but yeah so they talked about Dax and they talked about um, Bashir and Garak from Deep Space Nine and they talked about that episode of The Next Generation where Riker was in love with the person from the planet where they don't have gender. Mm-hmm. And so people who feel like they're a gender um, get punished. 
So these Riker's were... love has no bounds. <laughs> he loves everybody, <laughs> including <laughs> Melissa. Yes. If they have a picture, we can. Put it. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> so it just it was it was an unfortunate missed opportunity, I think, um, because it was sort of again very jargony and telling people what they almost certainly already knew. So so that was too bad. I went into it as a as a straight person hoping to learn a few new things about queerness in Star Trek, and I felt like I was just sort of being. I felt like, they, yeah, they didn't teach me anything new, and they're, uh, it, it felt it felt like rather than teaching or sharing something, I would have I would have rather had heard them share their experiences um, as part of the queer community with Star Trek and what Star Trek means to them and how it applies to their community or how they think it strengthens their cause. I, I, w- I wanted to hear something like that to help enlighten me as to, you know, where this community fits in to the Star Trek fandom. Um, but none of that really happened. Or um, if they, right at the very end, they mentioned um, fan fiction and they, and they mentioned Slash and talking about how really the the Star Trek fandom in many ways invented slash fiction by writing about Kirk and Spock as a couple. So it would have, it could have also been interesting if maybe they had talked mm-hmm. about the history of Star Trek fan queer Star Trek fandom, um, but they didn't. Uh-huh. As it was mentioned, I think at the Phase Two panel, in essence, Star Trek created fandom. There were yes. fandoms for television shows before that, so that that first fandom could be the one that could create that first slash fandom mm-hmm. tying it all together they, they completely lost opportunity well it's it's not to say that it was terrible um, it's just that it, it didn't quite compare to other things that we had seen before they focused rather heavily I guess the, the one thing that they said a few times was this idea that with the character for instance Jedzia Dax who before that was Curzon Dax in a male body seeing an ex-lover who was a woman what that means in the show is that Terry Farrell is kissing this woman so that is a queer looking moment but really it's a heterosexual moment because it was her male predecessor who was with this woman so they talked about a number of times where there was queerness through what was really story-wise heterosexuality and so that can kind of I, my interpretation of that was that maybe that's something that would make that scene pal- palatable to, to various audiences or interesting to various mm-hmm. audiences without offending them. Um, Terry Farrell did point out at that panel that 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 kiss that episode was not run by certain affiliates. Right, as it passed through the country, syndicated station to syndicated station, the the ones who got the memo that oh the show you're running tonight's got a lesbian kiss in it. Oh my gosh. Right. They replaced it with a rerun. Hmm. Yeah. And before, just another kind of small panel, and then, Bob, you can talk about the the big thing that you did. I went to um, a panel called The Black Tribbles Interview David Gerald. So it's my impression that they are a podcast, and they talk, I think, quite a bit about, I mean, they're just huge Star Trek fans, period, but they also talk about how race is treated in Star Trek, but they, because of, they they wanted to interview David Gerald because he's like, they were saying, like, he's our father, you know, he created (laughs) Tribbles, and and here we are. Um, So David Gerald wrote the episode, The Trouble with Tribbles, and you heard the Tribble at the start of the podcast, and then he wrote um, kind of a follow-up for the animated series called More Tribbles, More Troubles, or possibly More Troubles. Troubles, more tribbles, um, which is also a cute episode of the animated series. And 
one of the things he was asked about was um, a woman in the audience asked him if he purposely wrote more for Uhura in that episode because it's one of, unfortunately, the very few episodes in which Nichelle Nichols gets to do something besides, say, hailing frequencies opened or I'm frightened. Um, so he said, yes, he did that purposely. Not only did he say more, he actually said, you know, I worship Nichelle Nichols <laughs> and talked about just how beautiful and elegant and nice and warm she and talented she is, but he said that he really wanted to feature characters other than Kurt and Spock and so he he wanted to have Uhura do more and he wanted to have Scotty do more um, and he wanted to have Chekhov do more and so yeah that was that was definitely part of his goals um, and he talked he was also asked about the Deep Space Nine episode uh, which is an homage to that episode in which the characters from Deep Space Nine um, are kind of integrated no nope Thank you. <laughs> the Deep Space Nine episode in, in which um, Deep Space Nine characters are basically integrated into the original series Troubled with Tribble episodes. It's a great episode. He did not have a hand in writing that, but he praised it you know, very highly, and he was an extra in it, and he was very excited about that. So that, that was... Try to wrap this We're up. We're totally yes. wrapping so, up, but Bob's got the big gun. Speaking of last. exciting, they're packing us up while yeah. <laughs> these so are chairs. Make this short. Trying. Uh, hopefully, I thought I could make the last panel of the day was William Shatner, "Tales from the Captain's Chair," and as I got here this morning, there are people who are going to be waiting online in front of the main stage from 10 o'clock this morning and sitting through an entire day's panels to get to see William Shatner. We got here about the panel before him was. Walter Koenig, the line was already halfway up the, the queue. We waited, we, look, we'll wait 40 minutes, we'll see what happens. They started letting people in, we actually got in. I'm not sure how, what fortune was smiling upon me today. He was on stage by himself, there was no moderator, he took just nothing but questions from the audience and ran around the stage like a dynamo. <laughs> Absolutely incredible energy, tr hilarious stories about first time he came to York, he paddled here in a war canoe. <laughs> I don't know how true it is, but it sounds great. Talking about being, being on Broadway and, and having people ignore what he was saying and leaving the theater because the play was rotten, he told them to sit down and then worked it into the play so he could say sit down every night to keep them from leaving the house. Uh, he's making uh, a documentary called The Truth is in Our Stars about what's happening with technology moving forward and spent time talking to Stephen Hawking. And he boned up on astrophysics and string theory and dark matter. And he's, he's asking Stephen Hawking questions. And so he, he eventually, the question, Stephen Hawking has one for William Shatner. And, you know, it's laborious for, for Professor Hawking. He has to type it in and so on. And Stephen Hawking's question for William Shatner is, what are your favorite episodes? <laughs> He says, so please, no one in the audience, don't ask that question. He says, I don't even remember. And so he did the ones he thought he'd want, and he tried to turn it back around to Stephen Hawking, whose answer was all the episodes that involve, you know, black holes and dark matter and real physics. And that, that should be out fairly shortly. He's got some books coming out. He talked about everything, an entire life and career, and just so lucky got in to be able to say, yeah, I finally saw William Shatner on a stage. So that's great. That's that was amazing. a goodie. That was a goodie. 
There were also scientifically oriented panels in every time block, which we didn't go to. My Usually in conflict. Yeah, my colleague went to a couple, and they were, yeah, I mean, they were not dumbed down science in any way. There were things about the discovery of exoplanets, search for extraterrestrial life, I mean, all just all kinds of things. Uh, how, how, um, NASA start, had a great presence. Yeah. Yes, NASA had a huge presence. That's exactly what I was going to say. So there was quite a variety for fans of the different shows. There was a, Vo there was a Voyager panel. There was, I mean, there were, it wasn't just uh, the original series and the next no, generation. Every, every show had at least a panel. Mm -hmm. Maybe not Enterprise. I, they didn't, th didn't they have one big panel? Did they have one? I thought they did. I think it was on Friday. We weren't here on Friday. It was three days, but we were here Saturday That's and Sunday. That's true. We did miss one day. There was a Deep Space Nine big cast thing on Friday. I know the Enterprise yes, cast meet, was Yes, meet the crew of Enterprise, okay. right. So they had a, a, pan, a big panel mm -hmm. on Friday. And they certainly did something about the new show coming, mm -hmm. Discovery. Mm -hmm. Now, I'd like to think this was, it only took up half the Javits Center, perhaps. I think it's successful. I hope they'll do this again. But it won't be the 50th anniversary, but next year will be the 30th anniversary of Next Generation. Yes. So I'm counting on that to bring these people back because I, I want to so. see some more of this. Um, I got my picture taken with two people this weekend. Who? Because Carolyn is about influence and convinced <laughs> me to do that. I like to spend other people's money. I hesitated. Yeah, don't we all, right? Um, so, yeah, I got my picture taken with Jonathan Frakes, which I was really excited about that because, like I said, Riker. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's all you need to say. Yeah. And uh, and then I got my picture taken with Peter Weller, which uh, it was not a Star Trek thing at all. It was purely a kind of surprise for my husband because he's a huge Robocop fan. Surprise. Yes. <laughs> if you've ever looked at his author bio on Megan Nerd Media, it is a photo of R Robocop, not a photo of him. So, uh, yeah, he's a big fan, so that'll be a surprise for him. Um, and I gotta say, Peter Weller was super, super sweet. Kind of, kind of surprised me. A lot of energy. He wanted to talk to me about my son. He asked me a lot of questions about myself and what was going on. So that was really nice because if you've ever done photos with these things, you know they kind of shuffle you through like a conveyor belt. Yeah. So he took a few moments out to uh, actually have a, a nice little chat with me. Um, so that was a highlight for me. And you guys will see all those pictures online because I'll yes. be posting them for the next two weeks. <laughs> That's great. So, complete thumbs up for everybody as a convention weekend. Thumbs sure. up. Yes. Yeah. The Tribbles think so too. <laughs> so where, can, where are we going to see all this content? Certainly on Talking Comics and... Uh, you also see some of it on Mega Nerd Media. I probably won't reference it much on the Siren just because it's not horror content. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, Talking Comics and, and Mega Nerd Media both will, I think, will be writing up some pieces, each of us, to talk about our experience. Definitely, yes. definitely so. Where can our listeners contact us? Melissa. Uh, you can find me at Lissa Punch on Twitter and on Instagram, and also, um, of course, at the Mega Nerd Media Twitter page. And Carolyn? My email address is cocac at oldwestbury.edu. And I'm still at Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. I thank you all for listening and live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. <laughs> that was great. <laughs>